Ok, hermanos, buenas tardes. Bienvenidos a la conferencia. We uh, want to welcome you to this afternoon to uh, a session on the pastoral preacher. That'll be our our theme uh, our theme this afternoon. Let me just uh, ask a couple of questions. Who among us here is a pastor? You're a pastor of a church. Would you raise your hand? And you're not ashamed. Would you raise your hand? Okay. Thank you. You put your hands down. How many here are uh, elders, elders in the church? Wonderful. Great. How many here are unsaved? <laughs> All right. Well, our, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, that'll be our text for, uh, for this afternoon. Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> I've been assigned a text for this afternoon a theme of the preaching of the pastoral preacher. That'll be our emphases. And I thought we would take the text from Acts chapter 20, the, the session where Paul invites the elders from Ephesus to come. Let's read the passage together, and then we will pray and begin our session. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to, me le- happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has, has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the, Lord, the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Let us pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the call you've placed upon us to not only be shepherds, but also be involved in serving your blessed church. We would pray your help this afternoon, that as we consider what it means to be a pastor and a preacher, and that you would help us to hone our skills, help us to be faithful, remind us of what the priority of ministry is. Encourage us in our service of you, Father. We are 
here at this, at this convention, this conference together to uh, promote each, provoke each other to love and good deeds, to encourage our hearts, to re, reassess who we are and what we're doing, and allow you to encourage our hearts. May I be a blessing to my brothers today. We ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. 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 Well, welcome again. We, um, I'm a pastor of a church not too far from here in the city of Whittier. I've been there for quite some time, and I love serving God. We lo- I love the pastorate. It's the greatest place to be. We need pastors for God's flock. That's always the crying need across, across the land. The, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the what? Workers are few, so we are always in need of workers, and we always are in need of honing our skills when it comes to serving God and shepherding God's people and being preachers of God's Word. And so we are going to focus on this text this afternoon and do a couple of things. One is to, to look at who we are as shepherds, who we are as pastors of churches, and then secondly, from this text, also look at the manner of preaching. We'll talk about our preaching and how it should be done to impact our churches. It's an interesting passage we have here before us. One of the, one of the commentators that I referred to uh, reminded us that this is the only sermon preached to Christian people in the book of Acts. All the other sermons are addressed to unbelievers. They are apologetic sermons. But this one is the only sermon preached that is directed towards God's people. It's a remarkable, remarkable insight. Here the Apostle Paul is giving an exhortation, exhortation to the elders. He's addressing them with some very serious, serious reminders and also warnings. He also explains in this passage the purpose of his, of his ministry, what God called him to do. And it's always good for us to review what God has called us to do. And then he provides for us a model, a model of preaching. You can take this model and look at it carefully and it serves to help us become better preachers. So our desire then is to look at this passage and examine, <clears throat> examine the, um, the, who we are and then the manner of our preaching. As, as gospel preachers, all of us that are preaching, we love to preach, we like to study preach, preaching. Let's never forget that preaching is a means to an end. It is not an end in itself. We sometimes emphasize different styles of preaching expository preaching, textual preaching, topical preaching, all of those are legitimate styles of preaching. But always keep in mind that preaching is a means to an end. Now you say it. It's a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. It's a tool that God uses to accomplish His purpose. And so when we think about that, then we like to consider then the purpose for which God has called us to serve. This text is especially illuminating because... It identifies various titles that we have. You that raise your hands as pastors and you that raise your hands as elders. There are titles that are given to us that really describe our ministries. For example, there are five titles here. Five titles that God gives as he unfolds, Paul unfolds this passage. He, he, talks, he talks to these men that he calls elders. But really they have five different titles. And three of these are are given to us in the text. The other two are found elsewhere. And let's, let's examine these titles. First of all, we are called overseers. We're called overseers. In verse 28, verse 28 of the text, you be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you, what? Overseers. Now, you need to help me this afternoon, okay? Uh, where, I, where I come from and I preach, I ask questions that people talk back. I know Dr. Lawson, Dr. MacArthur, all these other guys, I mean, they are really highfalutin preachers. And so they want you to be quiet. I'm a barrio preacher. Uh, and so I want you to talk to me. So talk to me. All right, now talk to me. And so overseers, we are overseers. And that's important for us to note that because as an overseer, which the Apostle Paul describes also in 1 Timothy 3, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is the fine work he desires to do. Episcopos is the word. It's really the person who's aware, the overseer, episcopeo, the idea of overseeing and looking over the flock of God. 
That means he's fully aware of what's taking place. The shepherd of God's people cannot be, cannot be in the dark. He can't be in the dark. He can't hide himself in the study and not be aware of what's taking place in the church of God. And so we are overseers. We are also responsible. The book stops with us. It stops with us. If everything is going well, the, 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 the flock gets the glory. If anything is going south and going bad, it is whose fault? Talk to me now. Yeah, it is your fault, okay? It is your fault because you are the overseer. You are the overseer. In many of our churches, we don't have an elder board. You are the elder board. Okay, you have one, and then maybe you have two that are on the way out, and that's all you are. So you are, the, you are the man. You're the responsible. The buck stops with you. So whether you're a, a pastor or, or a senior pastor or a lead pastor or whatever they call you, you know, you're the overseer. And it's high time that we, as we think about ministry, realize that the buck stops with us. And we have no one else to blame because God has placed us as overseers. And that's the title we have. That's the first title. Secondly... Look at verse 17. Verse 17, he calls them elders. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church, presbyteros. That's the second title that God gives us as shepherds of the church. First Peter 5, 1, etc. The apostle Peter then speaks to the elders as a fellow elder. And so here's the word elder. And it speaks about who you are as a person. Speaks about your maturity. The word presbyteros and the word elder means that you're old. That's what it means. It means you've been around the block. The block. It speaks about maturity. It speaks about being aged, having some experience in your life. Either you have lived a longer time and you've been around the block a few times. You have the experience. The apostle uh, Paul, when he gives the the uh, the qualifications for for leadership, he says you cannot be a neophyte, one who's newly converted, one who's green. You need to be seasoned. Need to be seasoned. Now, in that culture, it was rather easy then for us to be looking for elders because we're looking for older men who've been around the block. In our contemporary setting, as for example in America, many times the when God calls us to ministry, we are young. We are we are just starting. I began pastoring at the age of 26. In a Hispanic culture, like you're a baby at 26. You are. I mean, they don't, they don't even look at you. And it's a hard time. And some, they would say to me, Montoya, you have nothing to talk to me. You have nothing to say to me because I'm older than you are. And it's hard to get over that. If you're from an Asian culture, you have the same problem. And so I had to get old. I had to look old. You know? So I grew a beard. You know what I've said? And that helped. It helps somewhat. But it means that we are the ones that are knowledgeable. We need, we need to be experienced. We need to, know, we need to know church. We need to know Christ. We need to have experience in life. And you can get it, but that's who you are. You're the man that really has been there, and you've done that. It also makes you the leader. It makes you the leader because the experienced man, the man that knows what's happening, the man that's been taught, Obviously, he has the answer. He knows what needs to be done, and he knows how to do it. You know, he knows what needs to be done, and he knows how to do it. And for that reason, we are we we then when when we assume the office of of elder and the office of being this leader, it's up to us to make a beeline and, and get to know as much as we can and learn as much as we can about the church that belongs to Christ, the living the living Christ. And so it, it talks about the fact that we are leaders. And some of us, we have a hard time with leading. We have not, we have not led very often. And we're learning to lead. And so we make a beeline to be the leaders that God would like us to be. Now, there's a third term that we find also. We don't find it here in the text, but it's found elsewhere. It is found in Titus chapter 1, chapter 1, where in, 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 in Paul's qualifications given in the book of Titus, he calls him a steward, the steward. And that's a marvelous term, marvelous term, a steward. A steward, as you know, is 
a, a man who's placed in charge, a man who has a, has a charge allotted to him. He's responsible for a certain, a certain area of responsibility. And we then, as shepherds of God's people, as pastors, we also are stewards. Uh, follow me to 1 Peter 5. Go to 1 Peter 5 for just a moment. In 1 Peter 5, the, the apostle Peter then, as he addresses the elders, he makes mention to this whole idea of being a steward. And you notice in, in, in verse 3, Not as yet lording it over those allotted to your charge, but are proven to be examples to the flock. Notice the expression, those allotted to your charge. That is the implication of stewardship. The word there that is used for allotment is the word clergos. Clergos. It sounds very much like clergy. Clergy, because that's what you are. You are a clergyman. And God has given you an allotment. An allotment. See, some of us, we have like, we have 60 people or 50 members or attendance of like, like 65 and a half, you know what I'm saying? And, and we're always complaining. Oh, I wish I had like 2,000. I wish I had, you don't know what you're asking for. You can hardly make it with 50. And you want to have 1,000? Shut up, you know what I'm saying? Thank God for the allotment that he's given you. Yes or no? The flock that God has given you is God's allotment. And he knows how much you can handle Yes or no? He knows. If you've been having 50 for the last five years, that's all you can handle for now. So that's your allotment. And sometimes, you see, we don't realize, but the Spirit of God has placed you, has given this allotment to you. And they are there. Now, sometimes in this allotment, there are some great people. And then there are some scoundrels. Anybody have? Do you have some of those? Some of them are right here this morning, this afternoon. <laughs> and that's also God's allotment. The one you want to transfer to the Mormon church, that's God's allotment to you. This is what it is. This is and then, see, in, in, under stewardship, we have to give an accounting. That's the issue, people. That's why it's a very serious responsibility. When you are called the pastor of a flock... That means that God has given you an allotment. And that allotment is going to be, he's going to be adding to that on a regular basis. And sometimes he'll be transferring some to other ministries, to other shepherds. But that's God's allotment to you. Which means that then we have to answer to God for that. We have to answer for that. So the Apostle Paul here, as he recounts his ministry, speaks about that. I have a, I have a drama. I have a I have a race that God has given to me. I have a ministry that God has given to me. And I have to answer to God for that. I have to answer that. That puts a sense of fear in our hearts and minds. We have to answer to God for that. That's why it says, the Apostle Paul says later in the epistle to Corinthians, it is required of stewards that one be found what? Faithful and trustworthy. In other words, you have to show up. You have to be there. You have to be there whether you like it or you don't. That's what Paul says in Corinthians chapter 9 when he speaks about his ministry. If I do it with my heart, if I do it, as we say in Spanish, with ganas, in English is ganas, you know, whatever. He says you desire, he says you have a reward. But if against your will, if you don't want to do it, you have to do it. Because that's your stewardship. And that's why, people of God, we need, to have, we need to be these kinds of shepherds. We have today in our society some of these twinky shepherds, pastors. I, we are so embarrassed with them. Every little excuse, and they want to call in sick. Oh, they want to just throw in the towel. They don't want to show up. What's that about? We have, we have an allotment, and we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. I mean, you've seen an example this, this week with Dr. John MacArthur and, and his illnesses, etc. But he's been, he's been here, has he not? Then there's you. <laughs> one, little, one little toothache and you call it sick. 
I tell our, I would tell our preachers in the preaching class here, don't you ever call in sick. You crawl in sick. Yeah. You preach and then die. You know what I'm saying? That's what it's about. So you keep that in mind. You know, when this Sunday morning you get up and you're kind of tired because of jet lag and all that and you don't want to call in sick. No, you crawl, baby. You crawl. Because you have given a... That's why the Apostle Paul says, you know, listen, I, I have to give an account. I'm not a hired man. I'm not a hired gun. I'm not... I, I'm not... This, I am. I am a steward of the flock that God has given to me. And I'm responsible for this flock. I'm not responsible for your flock. I'm not responsible for the flock down the street. That's their problem. I'm only responsible for the flock that, that I shepherd, that we shepherd. And so I have to answer to God for that. Number three, the, th- the, 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 the fourth uh, term that he uses, go back to Acts chapter 20. He uses the word pastor. Pastor. But he uses it in a verb form in verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. There it is. That's the verb form of the word that is allotted for us as being pastors. And he takes it from the, from the culture, the culture of Palestine. They were, everybody was aware of what pastors were. They, they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. A flock of sheep, a flock of goats. They all knew what a shepherd was about. And, 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 and Ezekiel 34 reminds us of that when Ezekiel chides the, the governors of the nation of Israel. And he says, you have not been good shepherds. You've not done what God has called you to do. Your job is to care for the flock. As shepherds, our responsibility is to care for the allotment that God has given to us. And it means, like he, he mentioned to us, to strengthen the sick, to heal the diseased. To bind up the broken, to seek the scattered, to search for those that are lost. Shepherd is always on the lookout for his sheep, always caring for them. Those that are ill, those that are diseased, those that are wayward, those that are scattered, those that don't come. The lost, always, always in search of that. We're always looking for our sheep. And it's important for us to note that. Sometimes out there you hear about certain people say, well, you know, you shouldn't worry about numbers. You shouldn't worry about how many come to your church. Just be faithful and preach the word. No, friend, no. You, you have to worry about the numbers. Even Jesus says there was a shepherd that had a hundred sheep. And then that night he counted them and there was what? There was one what? And what did he say? What did he do? Oh, that one that's missing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Rosie Garcia. <laughs> may, may she never come back. <laughs> what did he do? What did he do? Talk to me now. Well, then you need to do the same. Because you have some people on your list that have been absent for three years, four years. And you've not bothered. Now, if you have 5,000 5, sheep, well, we can excuse you. But if there's only 50, we got a problem. Yes or no? And so that's where we're called to care. We're called to feed the flock. A shepherd feeds the flock. In a modern term, our, it's our job to make sure that our sheep have a healthy and steady diet of the Word of God. That is my job as an overseer. To make sure that our sheep, that I provide for them a venue of a steady flow of a steady flow of the word of God so that they are fed and are being fed properly. We'll talk about that in a few moments. And so that is our job to, to, as a pastor to feed the flock. It is also our job to protect the flock. You notice the apostle here in, in Acts 20 reminded them to be on guard for the flock because uh, there's going to be uh, savage wolves that will come in among them, not sparing the flock. <clears throat> He says, from among your own selves, there's going to come those that will destroy the flock of God. And so we are, it is our job to protect the allotment that God has given us. We are his true shepherds. And so the shepherd uh, carried a staff and he carried also a, a club with him, 
a staff that he would guide the sheep and the club to beat up the wolves and cast them aside. And so we then also need to keep our churches free from false doctrine and false teachers and from division and self-destruction from within. How many of our churches are being destroyed by their own people? Our own little, little flock ends up chewing each other up. And, and that, that should not happen. We should be caring for our sheep and protecting. John Calvin said a pastor has two voices. One to call the sheep and the other to fend off wolves. I like, so that's who you are. We're then shepherds caring for the flock. And then number five, the, another title that we have is also the title of pastor pastor teacher. In Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, turn there please for just a moment. In Ephesians chapter 4, the, the apostle here reminded us of the gifting that God gave. He gave in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, verse 11, marvelous. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Some as pastor teachers. And so uh, pastor, here's what you are. You are also a pastor teacher. This means you are an equipper. Look at verse 12. Here's what he does. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So a pastor teacher, his job is to perfect the saints. Colossians chapter 1, the 28 and 29, the apostle Paul lays it out. That our, our job as pastor teachers is to equip the saints to produce every Every, every sheep that we have to make them Christ-like, to make them Christ-like, to form them into the image of Christ. Your success as a pastor is measured not by how many show up, not by how great an offering you take, not how great buildings you have. Your success as a pastor is measured by Christ-likeness in your people. That is how it's measured. If they are Christ-like, whether you have 25 or 2,500, it matters little. You are successful because you have produced Christ-likeness in your people. What you're doing is right on. The perfecting of the saints also means to, to equip the people of God to be, to be servants. You see, the real ministers are not here. The real ministers are back home. All our people have spiritual gifts. They all have been endowed by a special ability. And so they are the true ministers. They do the ministry. We do the equipping. In another, another example, we are the coaches. They are the players. We were the coaches. We train them. We equip them. But they play the game. They, they're the ones doing the work of ministry. And so as a pastor teacher, that's, that's a title we have. And so we then, our job is to to motivate. Listen, if you, if you are here, here this week and you have felt like you're being burned out, being burned out. How many here, don't raise your hand. <laughs> How many here, this, you're just burned out. Like this is your last conference. You've got your resignation letter, letter already signed and not quite mailed. You know what I'm saying? You're waiting until the last, last session to see if you're going to change your mind. And you're burned out. Well, listen, let me tell you why you're burned out. You're being burned out because you have not followed the exhortation in Ephesians 4. You're doing all the work yourself. You should be putting people to work. Yes or no? Yes. My name is Alex Montoya. That's, that's not my, my total name. My name is Alex D. Montoya. What does the word D stand for? Delegation. That's what it stands for. <laughs> Putting people to work. How do, you last, how do you last this long in ministry unless the people do the work of ministry? Did you understand that? It's our job to put people to work. And so let me encourage you. So these are the five, five titles God gives us. So as we preach, these five titles also are a job description. They are our job description. And so our preaching then is always to fulfill and accomplish these job descriptions that God has given to us. So go back to Acts chapter 20. And I want you to then follow with me for the next few, few minutes on the preaching of the pastoral preacher. His preaching. 
Because this preaching obviously is going to be unfolding, unfolding what God has called them to do. And it's remarkable how the Apostle Paul, as he explains his ministry, he highlights also his preaching. So we then that are preachers, and we should always be working, working on becoming better preachers. We should always be working on that. No one ever really arrives. We, we need to be always working. One of my great heroes in football was Jerry Rice of the 49ers. And Jerry Rice, it says, that throughout his entire career, he was always the first man on the practice field and always the last man to leave the practice field. This is Jerry Rice. He was like the greatest wide receiver ever, ever. But the first man on the, on the practice and the last man, always improving his skills. And then there's some of you. You haven't picked up a preaching manual and who knows what. See, we should then always be working on improving our preaching. And, and let's, Paul help, let, let's let Paul help us here for just a few moments. And, and as you look at this text and the way he explains what he does, there are seven outstanding features about his preaching that we, that we can note, that he I highlights for us. Let's mark these down, okay, as we think about we as pastors preaching to our flock of 50 or 100 or 500 or 5,000. It's all the same. It's all the same. There are seven of these. Let's mark these down. Number one, his preaching was evangelistic. His preaching was evangelistic. Back in chapter 20 of the book of Acts, you'll notice how he highlights, how he highlights. He says in verse 18, you yourselves know from the first day that I said in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials which came upon me through the blood of the Jews. And I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and then teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That is gospel preaching. That is gospel preaching. I was here... God sent me to preach the gospel, to win, to win Jews and Gentiles to Christ, but especially Gentiles. And so here he was, in essence, fulfilling the Great Commission. Gentlemen, we are all to fulfill the Great Commission. That is it's called great because it's the Great Commission. It's given to everybody, but especially to us who are shepherds and leaders of the Church of the Living God. We are then to be evangelistic. And Paul here says, my preaching was evangelistic. Always calling men and women to repentance. Repentance from sin. To, to turn from sin and to turn to God. And to put their faith in the shed blood, the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24, verse 24 he calls it, he says, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God that emphasizes the great display of the grace of God on the cross. To call, to call men to repentance and to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he wasn't after just decisions. He was after disciples, people. He wasn't after just people making a, a nominal, uh, nominal decision for Christ. Oh, no. He was, he was after making genuine disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. The pastoral preacher is an evangelist at heart. He's looking always in quest for souls. He can do, he can do no other. And, and preachers, our nation needs conversion. Our nation is a pagan nation. It is, never has been a true Christian nation, and now even less. We need to preach the gospel. We need to win men and women to Christ. We need to preach conversion for the lost. Let me ask you, are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you seeing conversions? I've been meditating upon Spurgeon these past few weeks. He's like my, he's like my hero. He was my hero when I first came to Christ. He's still my hero. And he said in one of his, one of his little, he says, I cannot recall. He said, I don't think there's ever been a sermon that I've preached where I have not sensed that someone has come to Christ in my preaching. Wow, what a statement. Because no matter where he begins, he always ends at the cross. No matter where he begins, he ends at the cross. And he appeals and he brings sinners to repentance. We need to learn to do that. We need to learn to, to preach evangelistically, to bring men 
and women of Christ. I know that we're told sometimes, well, you know, Montoya, the pulpit is to edify the saints, but we go out to evangelize. Yes, that's true. That's true. But you know, it's not entirely true. We're also called to preach the gospel to those that are, to those that are lost. I look around at the audience when I'm preaching. I, I scour the land and see if there's someone in the audience who, who, who smells like a reprobate, who looks like a sinner. <laughs> Who, who, who I can identify, who's, who doesn't read his Bible, who, does, who looks at me with glazed eyes and I say, Aha! I have among me a, a person that needs Christ. And then I t- turn my guns and, then, and I preach the gospel to them and bring them to Christ. Yes or no? That's what we need to do. Second quality. He's a, it's profitable preaching. He always preached profitable. He says in verse 20, in verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. He says that the physician of the soul, which is what we are, the physician of the soul draws from the divine pharmacy what is helpful and needed by the people of God. That's who we are. We need to, we need to know the people. And we're preaching a message to them that's going to be helpful. Like he says in verse 32, look at verse 32, where he says, And I commend you to, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. It's the word of God that builds up. Yes or no? It's the word of God that builds up. And so we then are to be teaching profitable sermons. Listen, follow me, gentlemen. Sometimes we can go into a, a series where we're, we're preaching our hobby horses. We're preaching the stuff that is our hobby or the stuff that we like. We like. Some of you are so into predestination, every sermon is predestination. <laughs> Even your dog's predestined, you know what I'm saying? And every, it all ends the same place. We need to go beyond that. And, you know, and, and preach the word of God that is able then to, to build up, build up. Whether through exposition, we need to build them up. And supplies. For, see, the reason why you are the shepherd is that you know the needs of your people. You need to know the needs of your people. If you have long counseling sessions, if you have people calling you and there's issues happening, people need, you know what they need. And so you need to then look at the text. And like a divine, like a physician of the soul, from the word of God, preach what they need to build them up. And so it's important. Right now I'm preaching a series on increase your faith out of the gospel of Matthew. I'm going through Matthew. I've been going through it now for quite some time. Increase your faith because I feel our people need faith. On Sunday nights I have a series on biblical convictions. Because people in America, Christians, we need to have convictions. And so we're working on what people need. So it's important for us to preach what is, what is profitable, what people need. Sometimes you, people come and they say, Pastor, that was a... That was, a good, that was a good message. We have a lot of Catholics. That was a good mass. You know, they said something like that. <laughs> and I, I, always, I always ask two questions. Was it clear? Was it clear? Oh, yeah. Now, did I help you? Oh, yeah. Then I succeeded. I succeeded. And so it, it needs to be profitable. And so let's, let's examine our flocks. What do they need? What is the crying need of our flock today? Every flock is different. Every flock goes through phases. And so we need to know what they're going through at this particular time and then apply what is necessary. He says, I, 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 preached, I preached what was necessary, what was profitable for you at this time. Then look at verse 27. He says, thirdly, thirdly, he says, I, I'm, I'm preaching the whole counsel of God. Therefore I testify to you, verse 26, this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink, notice the expression again, I didn't stop, I didn't hold back, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole what? The whole what? The whole counsel of God, the whole purpose of God. The whole counsel of God is wrapped up in this book. Yes or no? It is all. This is the will of God for us. It is all here. We are then not to be preaching the whole counsel of God. 
I didn't shrink away from this. It's an awesome task. It is an awesome task to unfold every, every week the whole counsel of God. To take this book that we have studied, that we love so much, and then to preach it. To take it and, and preach it. And take an expositional approach and, and preach through this whole, this whole book. And to preach that which is not only profitable, but the whole counsel of God. This is what the text reminds us of. And that is our, that is our commitment for us to do so. To take this book and unfold it. To take the books of the Bible and begin to preach to them and, and to unfold the whole counsel of God. To look at the whole of systematic theology from, from prolegomena to eschatology and all the major doctrines and to unfold those and play them before our people so that they understand what the main doctrines of Scripture are that every creature, every believer should know and identify them. We need to be these type of preachers. Friend, as I, as I, as I scour the American, the American landscape, I am, just, I am just so, I don't know what to tell you. I just, I just, I'm just shocked. The fact that we're not preaching the whole counsel of God. We have, we have, we have been lulled into the sense of preaching one sermon a week. That's all, we, that's all our people get is one sermon a week. Friend, that will never do. I spent 10 years on Romans. That's all your folks are going to get, Romans, for 10 years? Another 10 years on 1 Corinthians? Another 10 years on Ephesians? And then you're dead. <laughs> and that's all they got is three books of the Bible. That'll never, that'll never do, friend. And then some of you, take, you preach a sermon, and then you have your people for, for during the week discuss the sermon. Now, you might... That you must be a great preacher. I would never do that with my sermon. When my sermons are done, like there's nothing left to pick on. You know, you're going to be scratching little, little stuff off the bones. Why not give them some meat, an additional meat? At First Fundamental, we have, we have four main meals a week. We've had them for the last 50 years. Four main meals. We have, we have the, main, the main morning service where I preach an exposition. And then we have a full-fledged Sunday school where we have 12 years of going through systematic theology and all the Bible. We teach it in 12 years. And then Sunday night, another full-fledged meal, full-fledged service. And then Wednesday night, another full-fledged sermon for the people of God. And that's what we do. And we're doing that for the last 50 years, people. Well, do all the people come? No, they don't all come. I could care less. I serve the meal. You know what I'm saying? It is there, a full course meal. It is there with a salad. It is there with an exposition of meat and potatoes and enchiladas and everything else. And then we serve apple pie. You know, that's what we do. You see, friend, because I, I don't want to come to the end of my life and say, you know what, Lord, uh, I don't know. I want to say, Lord, my hands are clean. I did not shrink from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. It was there. Now, if they didn't come, that's their problem. Hmm? It's their problem. What's happening to us? And we're preaching little, little sermonettes, 20 minutes long. That'll never do. Little Twinkie sermon's going to go nowhere. Oh, friend, 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 friend. Are you talk? Am I talking to you now? Yes, yes. Am I talking to you? Well, you know, Montoya, that's a whole lot of work. Yes, it is, you lazy slop. That's what it is. That's what it is. No. No, no, no. If you're working, if you're working full time and, and, you're, and you're paying for yourself, we have an excuse. But if they're paying you a full time salary, what are you doing all the rest of your time? Hmm? What are you doing with it? Oh, my dear friend, I'd say, you know, preach the whole counsel of God. Number four, number four. Am I helping you this afternoon? Number four. Some of you are getting mad. I, 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 don't want you, I don't want you to get mad. Actually, I don't even care if you get mad. You know what I'm saying? Look at, and it's, he says, my preaching was also consistent preaching. Consistent preaching. Look at verse 18. He says, you yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia, 
I was with you, finish it, the whole time, the whole time, whoa, look at verse 20, look at verse 20, he says, and I did not shrink from declaring to you the, anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly, and from house to house, and then verse 31, verse 31, again, he reminds us here, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day, For a period of three weeks. (laughs) Talk to me. Yeah, three years. Oh, yeah, three years. Three years. I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Oh, my dear pastor, preachers, we need to be consistent in our preaching. Dedicated to the preaching of the word. Dedicated. Committed to it. You know, I like to call you guys preachers. My... My co my, my co buddies, I call them preachers. Ignacio here, Ignatius, that's not why I call him a preacher. That's what you are, you're a preacher. Oh, Alex, just call me John. No, no, John. Just call me call me Paul. Call me Pedro. No, no. You're a preacher. That's who you are. Occupation, preacher. That's you're committed to that. And so it is that we should then be committed to preaching his word. Be committed. And, 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 and bury your preaching. Bury your preaching. In a sense where he, he says that preaching publicly and from house to house. I did outdoor preaching. I did public preaching. I went house to house preaching to little families and small gatherings. But I, I varied my preaching. I used every venue, every opportunity to preach the word. That's who we are. We, we are preachers. You know, when I started preaching here, teaching, preaching here, I got a call from somebody in Northern California. He says, hey, Montoya? I said, yeah. What are you doing over there? What do you mean? Yeah. We got a church over here, and I called one of your seminary guys and asked him to come. Our pastor got sick and asked him to come and preach for us. You know what he said? He said he couldn't do it. He needed a week's notice to prepare. I said, he told you that? He goes, yeah. I said, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Forgive us. And I came back and I said, you yo-yos. <laughs> yo-yos, you don't need, you don't need a week to prepare a sermon. If you are, are you a preacher? Yes. You got to preach at a moment. Yes. yes or no? Are you a preacher? Are you a preacher? Yes. You should be able to preach at a moment. You should have at least five sermons in your, in your back pocket. Yes, yes or no? Yes. Well, I need a week. You don't need a week. You need a minute. That's all you need. <laughs> That's all you need. You should be ready to preach. In season and what? There it is, you have it. Oh, listen, listen, people. Listen, preachers. We, we have been so intimidated that somehow we, we need to preach masterpieces every time we get up. Ah, no, 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 no. You need to preach the whole counsel of God. Preach the word of God. Yes or no? Yes. And we need to do it biblically and also. It has to do it. You see, that may come a time when, when I... You may just pause in your preaching like Brother Dr. MacArthur did a few weeks ago and he couldn't continue. And any one of you should be able to get up and continue the exposition. Hmm? Talk to me now. Or preach your own sermon that you have. If you're an assistant pastor, you should be always having that sermon heated and praying, Lord, may our pastor get sick today so I can (laughs) preach in this place. Oh yeah, oh yeah, my dear friend. Are you with me now? Your motto should be, have Bible, will travel. I go anywhere. I will even pay to preach. Because some of you ain't qualified to get paid, but you should be able to pay to preach. So how much do you charge? Montoya, how much do you charge? I never charge. I never charge. Just just go. That's all it is. Because that's that's my motto. Have Bible, will travel for it. And preach. And Paul says publicly and from house to house. And then notice with me his passion. His passion and his preaching. It bleeds. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. Where it says, I, I was serving the Lord. As a, the word there is du, dulao from dulas. Serving the Lord with all humility. And with what? Tears. And with trials. Which came upon me through the plot 
of the Jews. And then you notice verse 31. Look at verse 31 again. He says, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with what? With tears. Listen, pastor preacher, pastor preacher, our preaching should be passionate with a genuine love for the church, genuine love for the people of God. That should be your passion. You should love you should love your church with a sacrificial love. Like Paul says, you know what, even I didn't even want your silver or your gold or your clothing. I even worked so that I could be with you and minister to my needs and the needs of those with me just to be with you and advance the cause of Christ. To love your people. If you love your people, follow me, friend, follow me. If you love your people, now listen to me well. If you love your people genuinely, you cannot preach a bad sermon. You cannot. If, you, if they know that you love them. You've been there when their, when, when their husband was dying. You've been there when their baby died. You've been there when they lost their job. You've been there when their son went AWOL. You've been there when their, when their daughter became a lesbian. When you were there for them. You loved them and you preached for them. You cannot preach a bad sermon. Oh, there's something I'm preaching away, and you know, and we all do. We all lay these huge eggs. I'm preaching away, and it's, I know it's not going any place. I can feel it, you know. It's like starting to slip. You know, and the gears are not, they're, they're not hitting, you know what I'm saying? And so for my fifth point, you know, and I can beat the pulpit. He's going nowhere, you know what I'm saying? And then I look up, I look up, and you know, in, in, in Anglo cultures, they just look at you. When you've lost it, they just look at you. And that stare, you know, you know he's out. You know. In Hispanic culture, they, bow their, they just bow their heads. That's what they do. You know. In black churches, they just holler out, help him, Jesus. You know. They, they just do. They just do. Yes or no? <laughs> That's it. Love your people. And they'll say, you know, he was just, he was just, he just lost it today. But it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Good morning, Pastor. How are you doing? Oh, doing okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Pastor. They didn't say thank you for your service. They just say thank you. You know, you know. You know but, they, but they know you just had a bad day. We all have a bad day. But if you love them, they'll, 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 and then just learn to love your people, that they know that you love them. And you brag on them. You brag on them all. Every place you go, you brag on your people. You brag on your people. You brag on your elders, brag on your deacons. You brag on them because you love them. And then you preach with compassionate, compassionate love, with a warm heart and a moist eye. A warm heart and a moist eye. Because you sympathize with your people. You look out and you know they're weeping. And you weep with them. They're groaning and you groan with them. We need to preach with a lot more bomb. B-A-L-M. And less bombs. B-O-M-B-S. You know what I'm saying? We need to be that. And so let's, let's learn to, like Paul, preach with a moist eye. When was the last time you cried for your congregation? Number six, be preached bold. He had bold preaching. He reminded us about, the, about all these different deceivers, wolves, ravenous wolves. He spoke about even from their own selves, men who teach perverse things to draw the disciples away from them. And so here we are. We need to preach boldly, gentlemen. Pastors, we need to preach with great boldness. Not be afraid of rejection. Settle that early. Early in your ministry, settle the whole idea of rejection, that you don't care. You don't care. You travel light, prepare yourself, and you just preach. You preach faithfully. You preach to be faithful, not to be popular. No, sometimes, sometimes you realize you need to preach what the Bible teaches and what you believe and what you stand for. And never apologize. Never apologize. As I'm preaching to you this afternoon... Is the same way I preach to our people every Sunday. 
Every time I preach, just preach the, uh, preach the Word of God and lay it out. And so we should not be afraid to preach the hard truths. We should, we should defend against error. There's error every place. And we are to be watchdogs, yes or no? But watchdogs with a bite. Yes or no? Some of us have a, we have a bark, but we have no bite. We need to be a watchdog with a, and so we need to, we, the, the, right now the church is under great attack. The first three chapters of the Bible are being destroyed. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are being obliterated by the pagan and by, and by nominal weakened pre- preachers and pastors. That's where the battle's waging in chapter 1 of God's creation. Chapter 2, who we are. In chapter 1 and 2, the image of man. In chapter 3, the, the, the fallen nature of man and restoration in Christ. That's where the battle is. And holiness. The preach on holiness. We need to be these kinds of preachers. Bold preachers. When you mix boldness and affection, friend, it brings for a sweetness, a sweetness and good. That's what it's about. And so let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. But notice this is toward the end of the list of categories. You want to make sure the first ones are being done before you get out there and say, yeah, I'm going to go preach like Montoya. I'm going to get. No, you don't want to do that. (laughs) They will kill you. (laughs) And then blame me for it. And I don't want to be there. And then number seven, my dear brothers, been a delight to preach with number seven, patient preaching. Persevere. Be persistent in your preaching. That's what Paul says. He, he mentions that. He says, you know, I, I'm not going to see you anymore. I'm, I'm going to be going. I'm going on my way to Jerusalem. And I don't know what awaits me except bonds and afflictions. That's what uh, is on my way. And uh, I... I I just need you to know that I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, verse 24, that I may finish my course in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to solemnly testify, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I'm going to stay through it. He finishes 2 Timothy by saying, I finished my course. Remember that? Finished my course. I can hear the scaffold being built i finished my course. And so, friends, pastor, preacher, preach. Get, stay at it. Preach for the long haul. Stay in the course. Preach in spite of opposition. Oh, you're going to be opposed. You're going to be criticized. You're going to be opposed. You know what? It comes with the territory. Comes with the, just get used to it. Get used to it. Develop a you know, thick skin. You know what I'm saying? And then just get used to it. Well, look at me. I'm 45 years old. Look at me. <laughs> yeah. well, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? And then preach until God calls you home. Until God, or until God says it's time to, time to give it up. You're getting too old. You're forgetting your sermons. You know what I mean? You forget your name. You forget the verse. You forget your notes. You forget to come. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so let it be. Just forget about quitting. Re-enlist. Amen? Reread this and go back and say, you know what? That's where, that's all. Just stay the course and be for the. And it's wonderful the way the passage ends. He takes the elders and they're walking out. He says, let's, he says, let's pray. They get on their knees and they start praying. And they start weeping and fall on his neck, start kissing him because they'll never see him again. What a, what a, what a departure! What an impact this man had upon the church at Ephesus. What an impact he had upon these elders. They loved him. Wept. Wept. How will it be with you when you leave your church? When it's time to go? Will they weep for you? Or will they throw a party? (laughs) I trust it will be that because you've been faithful. That you'll get the same reception. Amen. Amen. Oh, let me say one final thought. If you're a pastor here an elder, you are worth your weight in gold. If you were to die tomorrow, you could not 
be easily replaced. I want you to think on that and own that. Our Father God, thank you for your word and for your encouragement. For my brothers here, may you bless them, allow their, allow their fruit to be manifested, encourage their hearts. We thank you for placing us in ministry. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. You've been a great audience.